Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Good morning, Bay Ridge. Good morning, good morning. Uh, how are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Um, you know, they tell us, they tell us uh, in sports, if you guys are familiar with sports, they tell us not to uh, try something new on game day. I did. I transgressed the rules. <laughs> Some of you get it later. Don't worry about that. Um, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1, an unusual amount of scripture, at least for me. Um, so Boaz is going to read for me. Um, but we're going to be reading verse 1 all the way down to verses 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 all the way to 10. Now the title here is Grounded. It is Grounded. Uh, and, and, and I actually believe that, that that is the call of the believer is to be grounded in our faith. That we are to be grounded in the faith. And that is why I chose this title because I think it is that essential that we, uh, every time we come to church that we would be grounded. Every time that we come to church, we would be founded in the faith. And that's what I believe Pastor does uh, so faithfully every week, and I get something, and I get stronger every time I leave. And so that's my goal today is that we would be more grounded in some more of these uh, identity points that we will see here in this passage. Um, so First Peter chapter 2, before we even get to reading, let me just tell you briefly that the passage here, uh, Peter, the book here, is titled... It is titled, um, sorry, the theme of it is suffering. The theme of it is, is suffering. Peter is talking to uh, the elect in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's talking to uh, Christians that are dispersed throughout the land of Asia Minor. And he is speaking to them and they are going through various trials. They are going through testings. They are going through uh, a deal of a lot of suffering, if you will. Uh, for me, I actually never, I never struggled with suffering when I was growing up when it came to the things that I wanted success in. I never struggled with suffering. I didn't mind struggling a little bit, uh, and, and I didn't mind going a little bit of suffering uh, in my baseball pursuits. I wanted to be a major league baseball player, so I didn't mind to go through a little suffering. In fact, I actually thought it was a blessing from the Lord right, that I was suffering because I thought it was a sign. I thought my, my suffering was a sign that, oh, see, I'm going to make it now because God's allowing me to go through a little bit of, you know, a little bit of hell. Now I'm going to get my heaven. You know what I'm saying? I got my, my cross. Now I'm going to get my crown and some baseball. But, but when it came to my studies, now I knew that was the devil. I was like, that ain't... <laughs> All right, I'm teasing. Let's, let's, let's move on. But I, I really do think that that is, that is the, the case for us is not so much that Christians don't want success in our salvation. It's just that uh, I think we fail from time to time to understand that our salvation does not end at justification. Our salvation does not end at justification, and we'll see here briefly that our salvation, it begins at justification, being made right with God, but we move on to a uh, place of sanctification and transformation, and God begins to make us holy, and he begins to uh, transform us and make us into his own image. And if we really began to grasp that concept, I do believe that we wouldn't, be, uh, we wouldn't shy away from suffering the way that we do as much. Does that make sense? 
All right, let's, let's go ahead and read this passage. Boaz, if you can read verse 1 all the way to 10, I may interrupt you from time to time. First Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You see that right there. Salvation is done in steps and stages. Steps and stages. We're growing up into it. Let's continue. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Hmm. Tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, the Christian will not experience growth if he or she has not found pleasure in Christ. Brett has been talking about this through the catechism. Uh, pleasure, joy, experiencing God is absolutely essential for Christian transformation, growth, and sanctification. Go ahead, Buzz. As you come to him. There it is. As you come to him. As we come to him. Pleasure is predicated upon God's presence. Pleasure is predicated on God's presence. I cannot experience God. I cannot have joy. I cannot have pleasure if I am not in his presence. We're going to see this here a little bit later. Go ahead, Boaz. A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Keep going. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But. Well, stop there. But. Everybody say, but. Uh, wake us up a little bit again. Say, but again. What? We're looking at a contrast here. But. Who are we contrasting? We're contrasting the unbeliever with the believer. So as we move into this passage, and I really want to look at verse 9. Uh, verse 9 is going to be the main passage here because I want to look at a couple points. But we need to understand that we're looking at a contrast. We're looking at a living stone. We're looking at the ones who have stumbled over Christ versus the ones who have believed on Christ. It is very essential for us to understand that as we move into this. So we have but. Go ahead, Buzz. Finish us off. You are a chosen race, mm -hmm. a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Mm. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Mm. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. 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 Can you say amen? Man, I love the end of that, and Pastor Brett said it as he introduced us here this morning, um, is that we are, we are called to have pleasure in Christ, to proclaim him. We are called to proclaim him, and I actually truly believe this, that if we are not actively proclaiming Christ in our daily lives, in our lifestyle, but even in our words, I truly believe that we will not experience the pleasure that we have been called to experience in him. So let me pray for us and we'll look at this. Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are free to, to experience who you are, that you've called us out of your light, out of the darkness into your marvelous light. That you've set us apart, you've called us holy, you've deemed us right, you've, uh, you've, you've called us a peculiar people. Lord God, thank you for who you are. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this environment, help us to understand, give us light, uh, help us to begin to understand that you have, you have chosen us before uh, we were even in our mother's wombs, Lord God. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for pleasure. I pray for joy this morning. I pray for the broken, Lord God, this morning that they would be healed. I pray for the one that cannot see, that they would be able to see, Lord God. I pray for the one that cannot hear your voice. I pray that they would be able to hear your voice this morning. I pray for us believers, Lord God, that we would be equipped and we would be empowered to be grounded in who you say we are. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, I... I uh, I, I've, there's a lot of benefits growing up in a Christian home. There's a lot of benefits. There, there are many, many benefits. I, I, I was grounded in truth. Uh, though I may have walked my own way from time to time, I was still grounded in truth. And that was an amazing thing, and it all came back to me when I was in college. However, one of the struggles that I had growing up in a Christian home was that uh, I actually believed that my family was my faith. And my faith actually became my family. And so I looked to mom and dad, and I looked to old brother, old sister, and I started to begin to say that, oh, because they're Christians and they live right, that means I'm a Christian. And, well, it doesn't matter if I live right. They're just, I'm a Christian. But it came to understand that my faith was not blood-bound. I began to understand that it was not blood bound. And when we are looking at the passage here, he says that you are a chosen race, that you are a chosen race. Understand that this, 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 this race that we are a part of is a race by faith. It is one by faith. It is one that we must believe in Christ to obtain. And when we have this, we have been adopted into a family. And so I began to understand that it's not blood bound, but it's blood bought by Christ. And so I actually came into the faith when I was in college, and I chose God. I chose God. Wait, that, that sounds a little interesting. I see Brett staring at me. He's staring me down. I chose God. I chose God. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. I didn't choose God. I thought I chose God, but in fact, he was choosing me. Can I get an amen? I thought I was choosing God. See, that, that, that was the thing is when I, when I grew up in the house, I, I, I believed that I had a choice the entire time. And since I believed I had a choice, I just said, I, I'll put it off a little bit. And I'll wait until later in life and I'll do whatever I want in high school. And I'll walk this way instead of going that way. And I thought I had a choice. But uh, how many understand that we don't have a choice? If God's called us, we don't so much have a choice. doesn't matter which way we go, God's going to come and get us. He's going to leave the 99 and he's going to chase us down. He's going to bring us back in to the sheepfold. And so I thought I was choosing God, but in fact, God was choosing me. And Pastor Brett taught us last week that if I was dead in my transgressions and sin, I could not, as a dead person, respond to him. <laughs> so I began to understand this, that I have been chosen by God. Before I was in my mother's womb, I have been chosen by God. He had a plan for me. He had a plan that I would preach the word of God. Even though I went the complete opposite way, he had a plan. And it is good to be chosen. And I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, that you are chosen by God as well. Because it is good to be chosen. Because the beautiful thing about this is it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday or last year. That doesn't keep me from who he is. It does not keep me from who he is because he says, here's the thing, I've taken care of every single thing that you've done. Can, I say, can you say amen? And so we are a chosen race. 
We are a chosen race. This is not a race that is uh, uh, by blood, but this is a race by faith. It's not for the tall person only. It's not for the short person only. It's not for the black person. It's not for the white person. It's not for the Asian or the Hispanic only. But this is a faith that this is a race that is by faith. I want to drive that across because I, 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 I truly believe that, uh, as Brett was saying last week, that we struggle a little bit with, with some of just the simple things in the faith. Some of the simple things. And if we can't fall in love with the simple things, then we'll never understand, as he says even early on in the passage, some of the harder things to understand. So it was not me choosing God, but it was God choosing me. And, and I said, stated earlier, that the, this, uh, this book is, is, is themed with suffering. Now, we all go through suffering. We all go through a hard time. We all go through hell, right? What does being chosen have to do with that? What does being chosen have to do with suffering? I actually believe that it gives us, very simply, confidence in our suffering. It gives us confidence to bear it. You know, I said jokingly that I thought it was a sign from God that when I was suffering in baseball that I was going to make it somewhere. But the truth is, as a believer, when we are suffering, it is a sign from God that he's going to sanctify us and that he's going to continue that process. And so it's a very beautiful thing that we can rejoice, as it says two times in this book, in chapter 1 and in chapter 4, that we can rejoice in our suffering. Paul says it as well. He says that we rejoice in our suffering, not just our salvation, but we rejoice in our suffering because it produces character, and then it goes on to produce endurance, and it finally produces a hope in us. So as believers, I truly believe that it's not, the most, uh, uh, it's not the most glamorous of topics, but suffering is something that we must bring back in our conversation. We must not uh, hide away from this, this idea that we are going to suffer in the faith a little bit. And I think we'll see here a little later that it may not look what we think it looks like. It may not look like we're going to be uh, shipped off to the stakes, but, but the truth is I truly believe that all believers must suffer. I don't know. Can I get an amen on that one? I don't know. I don't know. Breathe, breathe. In and out. In and out. Whew. My goodness. So I, so I, I want to look at the last two points here. I want to look at the last two, three points, actually. There's, we are called in this passage, we are also called a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a treasured possession. I want to look at these points, but I don't want to uh, look at these points here in this passage, particularly. I want to go to another passage, and the reason is, is as we study the Bible, I find that it's very helpful, um, and not just very helpful, but it's also very essential that we look to see if the author, our author in 1 Peter, is he quoting this from somebody? Is he getting these ideas? Is he getting uh, what he's getting from somebody else? And it's always important because we believe that the Word of God is inspired. We believe that it is an inspired word, and if it's an inspired word, it won't contradict, but it will complement. And so we need to see, is there any other passage that the, the author is extracting his points from? So let's turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. And it's interesting here in this passage, we'll actually see that Three of these four points are all stated here in one passage. So this, this really blew my mind as I was looking through all of the different passages that these identity points, royal priesthood, holy nation, treasure, possession, could be found. 
Now, I'm going to only touch on two of these here. I'm, I'm going to touch on royal priesthood and the holy nation. Exodus chapter 19, we're going to look at verses, verses uh, 3 here. But Exodus 19, let me just catch you up really quickly. Exodus 19, it, 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 it starts a whole new episode for the children of God, for the children of Israel. Previously, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls, calls Abraham. He calls Abraham to start a nation. He calls Abraham to start a race. And through the patriarchs, he continues this race. He continues it down on. And they are then uh, uh, enslaved in the land of Egypt. And when they're enslaved in the land of Egypt, God says, I'm going to, through a predestined call, call you out of Egypt. I'm going to call you out of Egypt and I'm going to take you to the promised land. And after the Red Sea, he continues to call them and he moves them through the wilderness. He takes them through a series of tests. He takes them through a series of tests to prove to them that he is their protection. He takes them to another test and to prove to them that he is also their provision. He is their protection and he is their provision. It's important for us to understand this today that God is both our protection and our provision. That no matter what I'm going through, God will provide for me. That no matter if I can't get out of the debt, God will provide for me. If I need to uh, uh, raise the children the way I need to raise the children, God will protect and he will provide for me. It's important that we fall in love with these simple points because we need to remember that God is our protection no matter what we're going through. And I think if we're going through some suffering, we're going to need a little bit of protection. We're going to need a little bit of provision. And we will lose this anxiety that we, we deal with so much if we can just learn to trust in him as our protection and also as our provision. So he takes them through these tests, but now he brings them to Mount Sinai. God brings them to Mount Sinai, and he says, I'm going to now test you. He doesn't say this, but I'm implying it. I'm going to now test you, not to just show you that I'm your protection and your provision, but also that I am your presence and your pleasure. We're going to see this here in this passage so, Boaz, can you go ahead and read again for us in verse 3? Let's pick up in verse 3. This is God speaking now to Moses. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be... the to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So we virtually see the exact same thing here. We see the exact same thing. God is speaking to his people in Israel, and he gives them these key identity points. Treasured possession, royal priesthood. And he goes on, but, but there's something different that I see here that I don't necessarily see in the New Testament that Peter gives. God puts a condition on his promise. God, oh, I really, I really want us to see this because I, this, I brought us here for a purpose, to Exodus 19. I think Peter really was, was pulling from this passage. God puts a condition on these identity points. He says, he doesn't say like Peter says. He doesn't look to us and say, hey, look, you're chosen. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're, you're beloved by God. You're all these different things. No, no, God looks at his people and he says, I want you, Moses, I want you to tell them that they will be chosen. They will be a chosen possession. They will be royal priesthood. They will be. They will be, but they have to keep a condition. They have to keep something. He says, if you obey my word. If you obey me, 
then you will be what I just told you you are. God can say that. I can't say that. That's, that's kind of crazy. You will be what I told you you are if you keep what I tell you to keep. There's a condition here. There's a condition. What is happening? What is happening in this passage? God brings them to Mount Sinai. He brings them to Mount Sinai, and we'll see on this mountain is God's presence. We will see this here in a second. God is trying to bring them to himself, and he says, you are these three things. Keep the condition. Keep the condition. Keep the condition. Now, are they going to keep it? That's the question. Because if they keep it or they don't keep it, it's going to help us to understand what's happening, and it's going to enlighten this for us, and we might even be able to see something for ourselves here. Are they going to keep it? Hmm. I don't know. I'm seeing something else. No. What do y'all think? No? No. Okay. Sorry, Israel. I ain't got no faith in you. Okay. So are they going to keep it? Well, let's first look at their response. Let's look at their response because uh, think about this. If God had just freed you from 400 plus years of slavery, God had just freed you. He heard your call. I'm sure God has done something in your life. He just heard your call. God just brought you through the Red Sea. He destroyed your enemies. And some of you shouldn't be getting all happy about that. But he destroyed their enemies and then he moves them on and he begins to prove to them, look, here, I'm your provision. I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to give you water when you need it. I'm your protection. I'm going to keep you from your enemies. Though they come after me, they will stumble and fall. David says, if God just does all of this, how are you going to respond? If God says, look, I got more for you. I've got presents for you. I've got pleasure for you. I've got joy for you. It's not just that your enemies are going to stop you, but it's that I'm going to give you more. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out an abundance on you. How would you respond? I mean, come on, bring it. I'd be like, let's go. So that's exactly what they do. They say everything the Lord says we need to do, let's do it. Let's do it. Every single thing. It's kind of like uh, uh, when I, I coach a little bit of football and, and the coach goes out and he recruits in the school and he says, look, here's the thing. You're going to be a football player. You're going to be unique. You're going to be one and of a kind. And everybody else in school can't do this, but you're tough and you're going to do it. All the kids are like, sign me up. Let's go sign me up. And not all make it. Not all make it because this is a test. I think we're looking at a test here. So God, he goes to Moses, and I'm not going to read this part, but uh, go back into Exodus 19 later and read this. He goes to Moses, and Mo- or Moses comes to God and says, look, your people are responding positively. Your people say, yeah, we'll do it. We'll keep the condition. This is great. God says, all right, good stuff now. Let's put them to the test. He says, let's put them to the test. He says, I will give you three days. Three days now, God says. I will give you three days, and I want the people to be consecrated. Consecrate them, and then I'll be back down. I will come back down to Mount Sinai myself, and I will get on the mountain. I want you to consecrate them, and I'll be right back down. He says, wait, 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 wait a second, Moses, before, before you leave. Wait, 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 wait a second. I don't want you to just consecrate them, and I'll come back down. He says, but consecrate them. And when I come back down, I want you to bring them to the mountain, but, but don't let them come onto the mountain. Do not let them come onto the mountain. And we're going to see why he says this, but do whatever you do, do not let them come onto the mountain. Don't do that. I want you to come back to me, and I'm gonna blow, I want you to blow a trumpet when I'm ready for them to come onto the mountain. Just, just, just picture this. Get this in your mind. Picture, picture the scene here. We have this mountain. God says, three days, consecrate. Three days. Now, consecrate, what does it mean to consecrate? 
What does it mean to consecrate? In this passage, in verse 10, this can be found in verse 10. In this passage, we are told uh, in, in a couple other translations like the KJV or the Net Bible that the, the word consecrate is translated as sanctify. We've already looked at that word, to sanctify, sanctify, consecrate, sanctify them, consecrate them, sanctify them. Another version says to set them apart as holy. Set them apart. I think we've seen this word as well. Set them apart as holy. One other version says hallow, like hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Set them apart as holy. Sanctify them for my presence. Essentially, as I studied a little bit and I looked at the commentators, they all said that this word consecrate has to do with the holiness that we're looking at as God is calling these people holy. It's having to do with that. God is saying, he is saying that you are to be holy. Now I'm going to put you to the test to see if you are are what I just said you need to be. He says, consecrate. I will give you three days, three days to be holy. Now, let me translate this over a little bit. Is that to be holy, once again, as I studied, I saw that they had to consecrate to be holy was they had to go through some purity rituals. They had to go through some purity rituals, which was simply to to, uh, abstain from certain things, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from uh, drinking, to abstain from the garments and different things like that. They had to purify themselves so that they could enter into the presence of God to have the pleasure from God. That is a very important phrase. I'm just going to say it again. They had to purify themselves. They had to purify themselves so that they could enter into the presence of God so that they could experience God and find pleasure in him. Are you understanding this? And so he has, they give them three days. Three days. If God came down and he started to speak to Brett and he said, uh, tell, tell Bay Ridge you got three days. Three days I'll be back down. Three days I'll be back down. I'll be up on the mountain. there. I don't know where there's a mountain around here, but either which way, I'll be somewhere. I'll be, I'll be on a mountain. Three days. Tell them all to stay off of Netflix. <laughs> tell them to stay. In other words, God's putting a condition and he's saying, I want to give you three days. To prove it. Just three days. Just three days. Now, I've tried to fast for three days, and that don't even work. So it would be really hard. It would be really hard to keep this. We're going to see here in a little bit that they are called to deny the flesh. Deny the flesh. Things we don't like to talk about, suffering and the things like, ooh, just tell me about how good I, you know, glory, glory, glory. But they have to deny what they want to get God. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at a test. We're looking at a test. So let's pick up. You guys think they're going to, you think it? You think they're going to do this? You think they're going to pass? Temporarily, okay. All right, let's see. Let's see if they pass. I like this. Let's go, Boaz. Let's go ahead and give us our final passage here. Verse 20, this is found in verse uh, 21. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through them to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to them, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Did they make it? Okay, I'll explain it, because I didn't see it either. <laughs> when I studied it, it took me a while. I, had a, I was on my hands and knees for a while and reading a lot of commentators. 
God shows up. God shows up on the mountain. That's what Boaz didn't read before that. He shows up after three days. Comes down onto the mountain. Makes a big noise, big scene, as you can imagine. Lightning everywhere. Thunder. Big clouds, smoke, covering Mount Sinai. To make it even crazier, it starts to shake. The mountain shakes. If you could just imagine that scene, you know, all this stuff, I would, I would be a little terrified myself. Moses says, this is it, guys. Let's go. Everybody, everybody, he takes them up to the mountain. Takes them to the mountain. They had to what? They had to be pure. That's all it was. They had to be pure. This kind of reminds me of Psalm, uh, Psalm 24. I actually think we have it on the screen here. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, it says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a what? Pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It kind of reminds me of this. I think we see this throughout the, the, the Old Testament. We see God saying, be holy for I am holy. We see him saying, how are you going to send to my holy hill? Got to have a pure heart. It's got to be some type of purity going on to get to God. And, and let me just say this. Let me just stop and just say this. I, this only makes sense. It, it, really, it really makes sense. Is God just making some random laws, some random things going on? Like, oh, you know, maybe you could be holy. I'm holy. Let's figure this thing out, and this is just my condition. No. No, it makes sense. God is holy. He can't even look at sin, it says in the word of God. He's pure. He's just. He's righteous. He's magnificent. He's good. He's infinite. He's immeasurable. He's incalculable. He's great. So how are we going to get into the presence of God? How are we going to get into the presence of God? This is an untouchable God. It's an untouchable God. He's beautiful. It tells us in Hebrews, because Hebrews picks up on this imagery, it tells us that God, Jesus, is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. That, that, that to enter into the presence of God, hear this, to enter into the presence of God can actually be a dangerous thing. To enter into the presence of God could be a dangerous thing if we're not pure. So they have three days and they get to the mountain. They see this big scene. This is the presence of God. They need to ascend into the hill to experience God. God calls Moses up. He says, come on up. He goes to him. And God says... I want you to go back down, and I don't want you to blow the trumpet, because remember he said to blow the trumpet. I don't want you to blow the trumpet. I want you to go warn them. Don't come up. Don't come up. Whatever you do, do not allow them to come up, because some of them will perish. So if we're entering into the presence of God, hear this, if we're entering into the presence of God without purity, it does not lead to pleasure. It leads to us perishing. Very important stuff. Very important stuff. If we enter into the presence of God without purity, without a pure heart, I'm not making this up, without a pure heart, it don't end too well for us. So you know what I see here also in this passage, just as a side? I see God's steadfast love and his patience. He says if they come, they're gone. They're going to perish if they come up. He says tell them don't come up. Now God wants more than anything for us to experience his pleasure. 
God wants more than anything. This is the hardest part, I think, of reading the word of God as, a, as, a, as, as, as someone who preaches the word of God is first off that I want to experience that pleasure and I don't experience it 24-7. So it becomes very hard. It becomes a serious wrestle. And then how do you relay that God is true pleasure? How do you preach that? How do you, uh, how, how, he's pleasure? I can't even see him. How is he pleasure? Can we be real today? Like, how, how is he pleasure? I mean, how, you're, you're telling me he's more pleasurable than the cupcake? He's more pleasurable than the relationship? He's more, there's more joy to be had in him than the Netflix? There's more, like how? It's very hard in our nation. I'm just going to be real about it. It's very, 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 very hard to understand that God is pleasure because we have so much pleasure in this nation. We have so much of it. We, not y'all, we. <laughs> this is rough. It's very hard. All you can do is look at the word of God and take it for what it says. He is pleasure. And God says, look, look, the people didn't experience it yet. They experienced his protection. His, and, 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 and if I get his protection, I get his, uh, his, his provision. Then, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm excited. That's going to give me some pleasure. I'm not going to lie to you. But I think there's more. There's an experience to be had with God. There's an experience to be had with him. And God says, come on, enjoy this experience. Draw near to me. Enter into the mountain. Ascend the holy hill. Come on up. But he says, wait a second. I'm, I, uh, no, 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 no. They're not pure enough. They're not pure enough. They can't come up into my presence. So God says, I'm going to keep away what I want them to have so badly. I'm going to keep away my pleasure because I want to spare them. I'm steadfast. I'm kind. Uh, uh, Peter says, uh, he says that here's the thing, that, that God for some times he will, he will delay himself. It, it, will, uh, uh, it will seem like he's delaying himself. He's got a plan, but it will seem like he's delaying. And if he does it, that's because he wants all to be saved. He wants all to have pleasure. He wants everyone to experience him. It's not just us. It's not just the, the, the elect Christians of who we decide will get uh, to, to experience pleasure in God. But he says all. That addict, I want him to experience experience it. That prostitute, I want her to experience it. I want everyone to experience my pleasure. We may not want everyone to experience it. We may not want our haters. We may not want the person that cussed us out at the store. We may not want that, but he says, I want all to experience me. Just want them all. I want them all to have pleasure in me. I want them all, everyone, to have pleasure in me, but he spares. He spares them. So at one point, this looks like a, 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 a taskmaster God up on a throne saying, nope, you didn't make the condition. You didn't make it. Be away. But at another point, we see this is a steadfast, loving God and a kind God, and his kindness is to lead us to repentance. So, so they, don't, they don't pass the test, but it's not only them that does not pass the test as we come to a close. It's not only them, but who else does not pass the test in this passage? The priest. The priest. Where did the priest come from? <laughs> they, they weren't even in the I have no idea where the priest come from, came from. No idea. Hmm. So if you read Exodus 19, there, there's no mention of pre. Like, actually, truth be told, wait a second. The Levitical priesthood doesn't even start at this point. There's no Levitical priesthood, not until Exodus 28. This is 19. So where did these people come from? The priest? Remember, holy nation, royal priesthood, perhaps God's kind of, remember, I think there's a test going on here. 
Who are the priests? I believe that the priest, and I say I believe this, commentators definitely believe as well, but I can't prove this to you, but I truly believe here that the priests are the elders that are mentioned late, earlier in this passage. There are the elders, the chief of the people, the elders. And commentators also say, according to Exodus 24 and other passages, that, that, that the priest here, who are the elders, they were actually supposed to be the first ones to experience God. They were supposed to be the first ones to climb the mountain. Because what's the role of a priest, even the Levitical priest, as we go on, and other nations had priests as well, what's the, 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 the overarching role of a priest? I'm going to say it in, in the words that I've been using. To go into the presence of God, find pleasure in him, but also to relay that back to humanity. The leaders, the elders, the priest. So at one point we can look at Brett and Scott and my dad, you know, Tony, we, we, we can look at him and say, ah, the elders, make sure you, you lead us into, you know. But God is talking to all of the people when he says you're going to be a royal priesthood. He desires for us all to be priests. He desires for us all to be this royal priesthood, to experience him, to have this pleasure, and then to relay it back to humanity. I think we're seeing this in 1 Peter chapter 2 as well, where he says, so that you can proclaim me. I didn't just call you to have it, just to sit there. I called you to be a blessing to bless. <laughs> Experience me now, 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 now. Proclaim me. Proclaim me. But even the priest failed here. They did not have the level of purity <laughs> that they needed to have. And so I think <laughs> that we see that God's desire in the Old Testament here is for his people to be a pure people, to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. We can go all day on what these terms mean, and we can just, you know, they mean all these things. But at, at the purest form, I think God wants his people to be pure so that they can proclaim his message. And we see this throughout the entire Old Testament. But, but to, to understand this in light of the entire scripture, why did the people, this is important here as we're coming to an end here, why did the people fail? It's, it's a good story. <laughs> it's a great story, but why? Because that's going to help us. Why did they fail? The people failed this condition because they did not have the right heart. It's just that simple. They did not have the right heart. They did not have the right heart. It says that in, in Ezekiel that the, the people, even before Ezekiel, you guys know the story of Israel. I mean, up and down, like a roller coaster, up and down and up and down. And yes, Lord, no, Lord, yes, Lord, Lord, no. You know, it just, it just gets out of control. They're up and down with God. And, and we can look at them and we can be like, oh, my gosh, like, man, figure it out. Like, he's God, for goodness sakes. Love the guy. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Love him. But... We would be careful to learn what's really happening so it doesn't happen to us. They did not have the right heart. They did not want to at the deepest levels of who they were. They did not have the heart to follow after God. They had that superficial smile. <laughs> they had the family name. They were passed down. They were delivered. They had all these different things, but they did not have the heart to follow God. They did not have the mind, the will, the emotions. They did, not, they did not want it so bad. Have you ever just wanted something so bad? I wanted to be a baseball player so bad, so bad. 
I just want it so bad. I'll go through suffering. I'll go through hell. I don't care what it is. I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I'll go through it. I want it so bad. I want the success. I want it so bad. They did not have that. They did not have that heart. And let me say this. Here's the thing, because you may be saying, okay, if they didn't have the heart, do we have the heart? What's happening here? Let me say this. First of all, yes, we do have the heart if we have believed in Christ Jesus, if we have believed in him. And then when we have that heart, it's what Brett said, regeneration. You used that word last week. It's we are regenerated. We are transformed in the very beginning. We're justified by faith. When we believe on it, it's so simple. When we believe on Jesus, we are, we are regenerated. He takes out the heart of stone, as it said in Ezekiel. He takes out the heart of stone, and he removes it, and he puts in a responsive heart, a heart that says, oh, my gosh, I absolutely love him. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, I've come into the world. Here's the thing. I have not come into the world to condemn. I'm not coming to the world to throw stones. I'm not here to just bring you up on the mountain so I can sizzle you away. That's not what he's here for. He says, I've I've come into the world to give life, but the darkness does not like me. He says, they just don't like me. They just don't like me. That's That's the real issue. Let's not overcomplicate it. The issue is the world just does not love God. We can manifest it in a hundred and a half different ways. But when it gets down to it, it's a heart issue. It's not an entertainment issue. It's not a, am I thinking right issue? No, it's a heart issue. Do I want it? Well, Simeon, how do I want it? How, tell me, how do I want it? How do I want it? How do I want it? We can't get there. We just have to believe. We are contrasting us in the very beginning. We're contrasting the believer with the non-believer. The believer is simply a believer. That's all it is. I believe. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have some, you know, children of Israel ups and downs. But if we have faith in him. Okay, okay, let's see this then. They, I read this passage many, many times because I was like, what is happening? 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 And, and I love to ask questions as I read the word of God. And one question I just asked. I didn't think I was going to get anywhere, but I was like, why does Moses get to go into the presence of God. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. You know, it's just, what, it's just a, it's a story, and Moses happens to be this one dude, and let's be real about it, because I really wanted to wrestle with this. I'm like, wait a second. How does Moses just get there? I mean, did he even have to do the three days of purity? Like, was that even a thing for the guy? It seems like he's favored or something. Like, Moses just gets to just go and talk to God, even before all of this. Ugh, that Moses guy. Why does he get to go into the presence of God? Not only that, but Aaron as well, who we see later on becomes a high priest. Why does he go into the presence of God? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth, than the wealth of all of Egypt. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is cra- When I read that, I was like, wait a second, that is insane. Now, you can take this, I really, I really, uh, you're thinking church. You're thinking church. Just take this and study this for yourself. 
I am not the voice of truth here. I am not the voice of truth here. I just read from Hebrews 11, 23. All the way down, I'm going to give you the exact passage, down to 26. By faith. God says in, in the Old Testament, people don't see me. God says, man doesn't look at me. We don't, we don't converse because man would be gone, perish. Man would be gone. But I speak to Moses face to face. What is happening, God? Moses had faith. Old Testament, Moses had faith in Christ. It says it right there. Christ, the reproach of Christ. Well, but, but, but Christ wasn't in the Old Testament. The reproach of Christ. He believed in Christ. And let me say this. He, he believed in Christ. He had faith in Christ. And I take it by implication. Like I said, you can see this how you want to see this. But I take it by implication. Aaron had the same thing. Uh, I, I truly believe that Moses' faith allowed him entrance into the presence of God. Moses was not bigger, tougher, badder, stronger, lived a more holy life and all these different things. But Moses had faith. He had faith. He believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed God, and that is what we need to remember. Now, we know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Christianity by faith, but think about this. I want to enter into the presence of God. I want to be grounded in the faith. I want it so bad. How do I get rid of all these distractions? How do I battle off the suffering? How do I go through the suffering like a diamond that needs to be purified? How do I go through those fires? How, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can I do this? How can I stand in there? How can I go through hell? How can I go through this? I am not sure if I can take it anymore. And the truth is none of us really can take it, but how are we going to take it? We have to have something greater than ourselves. We have to have confidence in him. We have to have confidence in Christ. But I can't just randomly whip up some confidence or some hysteria and just all I just I'm excited all of a sudden and I just believe it and now I'm going to be there no we've got to believe in not it but in Christ we've got to believe in Christ it's a very 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 important thing very very important thing because I truly believe if we look even back at first Peter if we see it if we're following Peter's track of thought if we see what's happening here we see Peter saying okay in verse one he says you're there's stages of salvation here he says but I want you to draw near kind of like the Old Testament come on up on the mountain I want you to draw near to God he says if you have tasted to see that God is good if you've tasted to see that he's good if you've seen that he's your protection if you've seen that he's your provision if he's taken care of you I want you to draw closer to him draw near to him enjoy his his presence enjoy his pleasure I want you to move closer to God Peter says come on up he says come on up some people trip over this guy some people can't make it on the mountain some people would perish on the mountain he says but I want you to come on up if you've been regenerated if you believed in Christ you can go on up into the mountain you can go into the mountain you can experience God he says what does he call him in the New Testament he calls him a stone and let's let me just help you to understand that a mountain is made up of stones it's made up of stones so I'm just drawing a quick little parallel to help us to understand that when we move up on the mountain, we're simply just moving up into Christ. We're moving up into Christ. I, 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 don't want, I, I don't want all this other stuff in my life. I don't want the distractions. I don't want these things that I do want, as Paul says in Romans 7. Sometimes I want it, I don't want it. But I just want Christ. And if we can get back to wanting Christ, our relationships would be healed. If we get back to love, wanting Christ, our children would see Christ. If we got back to loving Christ, our jobs, our, our finances, whatever it would be, would begin to be viewed in the light of who he is. And we would honor him because we want to. But we can't, we can't just magically make ourselves want to love him. 
It's got to be the Holy Spirit of God. It has got to be the Holy Spirit of God. Now, as I go into the final, the key points, let me just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them here. I'm going to read them. Because as I go into the key points, I think we're going to see something uh, special here. The first key point, and I'm coming to a close, is entering the presence of God brings the believer pleasure. It's just that simple. Now, I said, I, I put this as a key point at the end. It's a little different. I did a little something different here. But it's because it's the believer. We can have the presence of God. We can have the presence of God. Jesus, Jesus is up on the mountain himself. Actually, let me just say it like this. Jesus, if you think through it, Jesus actually came down as a man and as God himself. And he died. How did he die? Well, I believe if we can just look at the picture of the cross and then we can look at the picture of the mountain, Jesus went up on that mountain. He went up on that mountain, and did he make it? No. No. He perished. Did he find pleasure? No. He perished. The only one who was holy, the only one who was royal, the only one, Jesus himself, the only one, the real treasured possession. This is my son whom I, who I love. Come on, the only one, Jesus, goes up on the mountain and should experience God. It even says in John that he experienced God before he came to earth. The only one gets wiped out. Gets wiped out for us. But then he says, look, here's the thing. I'm going to turn it back around. If you believe in just that simple fact, it's nothing crazy. Just believe in that, that he went up on the mountain and experienced God for us. He says, you can come with me. Peter's just blowing the trumpet. Peter's blowing the trumpet and says, come on up. It's good. No, 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 no. We didn't make the condition. We failed. All of us, we failed. But he says, since you believed, come on up. Come on up. Purity is only done through suffering. Purity is only done through suffering is the second key point. And you may say, Simeon, why, why do believers, and this is what I ask all the time, and I mean, this sermon really wrecked me as I was studying it, because I just say to myself, I'm a believer. Why am I not experiencing that? Why? If, it, if it's true, why am I not experiencing it? And we believe that it is true. Why am I not experiencing it? Purity is done through suffering. We must suffer. But I think this is, this is a big, big thing here. Let me, let, me, let me read verse 11 because I think this is why we don't experience the mountain because we stop at verse 10 and say, whoa, we once were not a people, but we are. Let's go. Let's get out of here. But verse 11, beloved, I urge you right after you're a people, right after you found your identity, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls. Oh, please, oh, please understand that there is a war. And when last time I checked, suffering is war, and war is suffering. It may not be against ISIS. It may not be against uh, an enemy that we can see. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against principalities. It's against the unseen. And it takes belief to even know that. It takes true, hard belief to understand that, wait a second, this is a war. And I think the, one of the greatest ways of suffering is if we as American Christians can come back to a place where we understand that there is a war for our soul, that we need to fight sin. It's just that simple. It's not beautiful. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But we need to fight sin. 
The reason we're not entering into the mountain is because there is a degree of purity to see God. Blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Moses is, Peter is saying, come on up on the mountain. But here's the thing, as you're coming up, every step is a fight. Every single step. As a believer, every single step. This is sanctification now. We've been justified. We have, we have the access. But he's saying every single step is a fight. And it's not a fight against Bob or Rich or this guy or that guy or the co-worker or my wife or my husband. It's not a fight against them, but it's a fight in the spiritual. It's a fight against my soul. It's a fight not to look there and not to touch that and not to drink this. It's a fight in the spiritual. It's a fight against sin. Why do we fight sin if we are Christians? Why not? Because Christ already took care of it. Why do we continue? It's this, so that we can experience God, so that we can have pleasure in him, so that we can enter into his presence with a thanksgiving and a joy. Understand, it would be, I would absolutely fail us completely if I did not say this. That we still have to long for God and we have to suffer the fight of faith. We must. And it's simply to fight against our sin. It's a very, very important thing. So, Lord, help us to fight our sin. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, I really thank you that you are the one, I mean, like, like the Old Testament Israelites, we're no different. We're absolutely no different. There's not one piece of difference in us, except we fell on, <laughs> we fell on the right side. We, we have grace. Now, they had grace, but it was conditional but it was all fulfilled in Christ. And I thank you for passing it on to us. I thank you for passing it on to us, for giving us the pleasure. Help us to fight for it now. Help us to go for that pleasure. Help us not to leave today without a determination to believe more in who you are, because it simply is belief in who you are that's going to give us the tenacity, the courage, the boldness, the fervor to chase you, to run after you. Help us not to be sleepy in the faith. Help us not to be passive, but help us to run, 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 run after you, to run up that mountain. It's so free. It's so open, Lord. So help us to walk. We say all this in your son's name. Amen. We are um, going to come to the Lord's table and celebrate who uh, we are in Christ, that everything we have, th this great gift, as Simeon was talking there, and we look at Exodus 19 and 20, and we think of the fact that the Israelites, very much like us, of course, I'm always amazed at their boldness. Yes, Lord, everything you say we will do. And of course, uh, God says, okay, and he gives the Ten Commandments, and before Moses has even come down, they've fashioned another God and uh, completely fallen short. And so our hope is the only hope that could have been there. And as someone pointed out, it was actually Moses' hope. The, the law can't get you there. Only the gospel can. It is by Christ. And so it is broken body and shed blood that brings us all of these privileges of who we are in God. And so we're going to come to the table and celebrate that.
Uh, I want to remind everyone, this table is open for anyone. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a member of our local congregation. You do have to realize that your only hope and all of your status is through Jesus, not through your works. Your works will not get you there. You will not ascend the hill of the Lord. You will not be able to come into God's presence because we all have unclean hands and an unpure heart. But in Christ, we are able to come. And if you believe that, we want to encourage you to come along with us. We also have, if you are here and, and uh, you need gluten-free bread, you can raise your hand in a couple moments and we will bring that to you as well. Other than that, I encourage you to hear and receive God's gracious covenant provision through the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that we can ascend the mountain, that we can come to your house, that we can sit at your table, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So Lord, this morning, we come by the broken body and the shed blood. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will hand out the elements as you get them. Hold on to them and be thinking of your status in Christ, all he has done for you and giving thanks to God. We want to, this morning, this table's known as the Eucharist, the giving of thanks. We want to give thanks to God for all he has done. I will come up and lead us in taking the elements together in just a couple moments. Gracious God, you made us in your image, your very likeness, and you walked with us, for we were your people. But through our sin, we forsook our status as your people, so that like the children of Hosea, who represented Israel, our names became not my people and not loved. This judgment was righteous and what our sins deserved. But this morning we give you thanks that because of the life and death of Jesus, our names and our status have been changed. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God. Once we were not loved, but now we are loved in Christ, clothed with mercy, circled with compassion, covered with grace. All this is your gift through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we receive this bread, the body of our Lord Jesus, in faith, knowing that all we are and all we ever hope to be is only given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Take 
and eat. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the spotless Lamb of God, and your blood has taken away our sin. In you, we are a chosen people. In you, we are a royal priesthood. In you, we are a holy nation. In you, we are your own special possession and people. All this is the gift of your grace purchased by your blood. For this, we worship you. We love you. We give you thanks. And we declare your praise for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light, bringing us out of death into your very life, removing us from spiritual poverty and making us full heirs of the kingdom of God. In receiving this cup, we openly proclaim that all we have is given to us through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Holy Spirit, you are the seal and down payment of God, guaranteeing our full inheritance to come. It was through your presence and work that we were born again and transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, the very kingdom of God. We give you thanks for this great and gracious work. And we ask that you would fall fresh upon us now. Give us eyes to see all that we have been given through Christ. When we forget, remind us of your promises. When we doubt, strengthen our faith. When we are tempted, empower us to live as the children of God. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has secured all of these blessings for us. And if you agree, say amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to conclude with the word of benediction. Normally, I uh, quote a scripture over us. This morning, I'm actually going to do something a little different. As I saw it the Lord last night, I'm going to uh, read a portion of a blessing that is out of a prayer that's known as the breastplate of St. Patrick. It was Patrick who, in the midst of struggles, I mean, you want to talk struggles? Every week when he left the gathering, there were Druids trying to kill him. That was kind of a problem. And so this prayer developed in the Celtic church as a prayer for God's provision in the midst of the warfare that is there to remind us of all we have in Christ. So I encourage you, receive this and then go forth blessed to be a blessing. May Christ be your shield today. Christ before you. Christ behind you. Christ beneath you. Christ above you. Christ on your right. Christ on your left. May Christ be with you. Christ be in you alone and in a multitude, near and afar, for all you face and for all your life, so that you may live in the protection and power of His blessing. Go forth, friends, blessed, and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.